on the floor, now my jewelry box froze Fuck a bowl, fuck a stove, counted millions in a cold Bad bitch, booted swole, got her on bankroll Can't fold, that's a no, headshot, case closed What is up guys, it's Andy Priscilla And this is the show for the realists Say goodbye to the lies, the fakeness, and delusions Of modern society And welcome to motherfucking reality Guys, today we have full length episode I know you thought I was going to say uh, cruise the internet or we were going to say some stuff about Q&AF, but today I actually have got uh, a good buddy of mine who you guys have heard on the show before, uh, who has completed uh, the 75 Hard program, and we're going to talk about that. We failed to talk about that last time he was in, um, but I wanted to get him back here and uh, really dig in to uh, what he thinks of the program and, and what he experienced. And, and um, So welcome to the show again, my good buddy, the captain, Kyle Creek. Thanks for having me back. I was yep. about ready to do DJ's intro. Yeah. I'm in his seat. Could, I was about ready to take over. Oh, we could do it, dude. Cruise the motherfucking internet. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just do it, man. Hey, <laughs> today we have Andy and Kyle. Cruise the motherfucking internet. All right. That's what I'm talking dude. about. That's it's what not I'm that talking hard. about. He acts like it's a big deal. You know time. what? Every time he nails it, he acts like he accomplished something hard. Yeah, well, that's pretty you know, easy. That's a little bit of his artistic. Uh, that that's that's just how he likes to do things. <laughs> yeah, he he yeah. <laughs> oh, DJ, you're fired. Anyway, seventy five hard, bro. We didn't get to hit on it at all last time. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we get into it, uh, how was your trip in? It was good, man. What's going on? Uh I'm in Miami right now again. I've been traveling a lot for work. Um, I'm actually on day 22 of phase three of Live Hard. Oh, there we go. Um, so I've been grinding away all across the country of where I travel. And flight in was easy. Like I talked about earlier, you know, your airport just smells like breadsticks and barbecue sauce. Yeah. It's I think it's a lot harder to eat clean here than it is in Miami where everything's just fresh and good. Yeah. Plus, dude, we get like the worst weather. We get the hot with the super humid, hot swamp weather mm -hmm. in the summer. And then in the winter, we get fucking super cold and no snow and ice it's just bullshit yeah i was out running this morning your, yeah. humid your humidity is similar to florida right yeah now. yeah yeah especially with that storm that just now it's in. pretty nice though like like it's it's not wait till it's like a hundred like over a hundred and it's like you know what it's like yeah like dude it's fucking it, not everybody's built for it i actually like it because like i sweat and i feel it helps me feel healthy and clean um but man some people come here and they're like how the fuck do you live here i'm like i don't I'm, I'm the same with Florida to, now. Yeah. Like I miss the humidity when I'm out of it. Cause when I do like, you know, run or walk my dog in the morning, I like it to be humid. Yeah, me too. Take your shirt off, get really sweaty. And you feel like you've cleansed all the toxins out of your body. That's how just, I feel. You just feel sharp when you yeah. get back. And then if you go straight into like a cold shower after that, like there's very few things that'll start your day better. Yeah. So dude, what got you wanting to start uh 75 hard? <laughs> um, Honestly, I was, I was pretty desperate at that point. Uh, I can 100% attest to the fact that I did it solely for the mental aspect of mm -hmm. it. Everyone wants to get in good shape. Like that's kind of like a cool byproduct of it. But I was at a point in my life where I, I was down in the dumps. Um, I've had, you know, occasional bouts of depression that lasted, you know, for a couple months at a time. But coming into, you know, the post-COVID world, a lot of my contracts were in hospitality. A lot of my identity was tied to my job as a creative director in the hotel world. Most of those contracts dried up because no one was traveling. And I was just left feeling like I had no purpose. And that kind of ate away at me. I was still trying to write stuff here and there. And my relationship was on the rocks. I wasn't being a good partner. 
Um, I left LA and moved to Vegas, which is kind of like where my career took off for me in Vegas. So it's kind of like I did this big circle back to the beginning and I felt like I'd squandered all my success. And I was just feeling really shitty about myself. And you and I had been talking online for a while and I liked what you had to say. A lot of my buddies, you know, reposted your stuff before that. I had a buddy that did 75 hard. And then I realized one day that I was like, I have to get out of this shit. And it was when I found out I was going to have a kid. Mm-hmm. And for the first few weeks of finding out I was going to be a dad, I wasn't ready for it. And it kind of spiraled me even deeper into depression. And I started drinking a lot again. And I just realized I was going to completely fuck up my life and this, this kid's life if I didn't do something to, uh, to get myself out of it. And so it really was like a last ditch effort to try and get back the confidence or get back to who I felt I was prior to the COVID, my career falling off. And so it was, it was, it was very much desperation is what got me to try it. Yeah, man. I, I get that. Um, I feel like I'm going to cry right now. No, bro. Listen, it's real. It's real shit too. What you said about the the lack of purpose during COVID, you know, I think that's something that really resonates with a lot of people because normal life was forced away from us. And, um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, I think that's a, I think, I think that's a big part of what's going on right now in the world is that, you know, you and I talk a lot, bro. And, and what's, what's really cool about having you here for me is that like, I'm a fan of your shit. So it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's, that's a good friendship when you can reciprocate yeah, those feelings for each for other. Sure. Like if you guys don't follow him, you should, because he writes some of the best things, uh, and the most thought provoking, uh, writing that there is out there right now for anybody in, in, in our era. So, mm-hmm. um, it's really cool to, to hear that. Uh, but you know, I think that's something that a lot of people feel, but they don't know what to do. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Like they're like, fuck dude, I, I, I'm lost. I, you know, it's the internal dialogue, right? Like you, we might all go through like, cause I was the same way, dude. Yeah. I was, I was going through life. I'm successful. I'm making money. I'm doing good things. Uh, but I wasn't living right. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I was drinking all the time. Uh, I was doing things that, that, you know, I wasn't proud of whenever I would wake up from being that person. Mm-hmm. And like, it, it just, it's just a different life when you, when you move past all of that. Yeah. So 75 hard for me was, I wanted to prove to myself that I could do something that seemed impossible to me. And it did. I used to tell people all the time, I used to kind of brag about it saying, you know, I could never quit drinking. Mm-hmm. I could never not drink, man. I drink five nights a week. It's just what I do. Yeah. And I prided myself on the fact that I could drink all the time and still perform at a fairly high level. Me I too. Mean, and my job was encouraged. I was a hospitality crave director. I worked on a lot of bars and hotels. Like drinking was kind of, I considered it, you know, almost like a superpower. The fact that I could drink and go to meetings and handle my shit. And so just the idea of giving up drinking, um, was was seemed like impossible to me and i was like man if i can i remember telling myself if I, I said if i can get through this i'm pretty sure i can get through anything yeah and that was like the mindset i had going into it um but i probably failed 75 hard i mean actual count i probably failed eight times failed seriously three times in, in the day 20 to 30 range mm-hmm. and every time it was in the day 20 to 30 range and it was because i wanted to drink yeah and it wasn't because i was craving alcohol it was because I didn't like the idea that some dude I didn't really know yeah. 
was controlling my life. <laughs> and so I'd get to like this cocky arrogance. So I was like, you know what? Who the fuck is this Andy guy to know my life? He doesn't know my stress. He doesn't right. know. He doesn't know what I need to cope. And I'd get these days where I was just so tense and angry. I'd still be getting all my shit done. But I was like, I just can't feel like this anymore. I'm too mad. Yeah. I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to go out with my friends. Yeah. So I'd want to just go out and do something to like relieve that stress. And it was really just like I said, it was arrogance. It was me feeling like I knew better than you or me feeling like I knew better in some program. And also it was a little bit of that fear of I didn't really want to change who I was. Yeah. I didn't want to become like I used to tell people is like my drinking ability is like a 401k. I've been putting deposits in it for years. That's how my tolerance is so high. Yeah. And I remember actually genuinely feeling like, dude, if I stop drinking, I'm going to become a lightweight. And it was something that like bothered me, which is so fucking ridiculous to think about. But when your identities become tied to the guy who goes out and parties all the time, it's hard to let go of that. Bro, I could completely relate to that. Like, dude, if you guys even listen to me for, you go back to when I was doing the show in 2015, 16, you can hear it. I talk about drinking fucking Maker's Mark and whiskey and shit. And, uh, you know, I thought the same thing, bro. I lived the exact same way. By the I way. did. I yeah. didn't want to change. And so yeah. it was, that I thought it was super cool. Uh, dude, I'm I, like, I, bro, I could drink a bottle of whiskey and be fine. Dude, I used but to the, go. I wasn't fine, though. I went to a meeting one time in Nashville, actually, and I had been out to 4 a.m. the night before, and I showed up for an 8 a.m. meeting still drunk. And the GM of the hotel was, like, laughing about it and said, hey, do you want a Bloody Mary? And I was like, fuck, yeah. And I killed the meeting, but I showed up drunk, and I even continued to drink in the meeting. And that was, like, encouraged. And it was something that people, people would be like, we like working with Kyle because he's this crazy creative director, yeah. but he's also really smart, but you can go party with him. Yeah. I just felt like I owed my success to my ability to do yeah, that. Yeah, it's part, it was part of your image. It was yeah, part of it was your, a brand. It was, it was part of your identity that you created it by uh -huh. yourself. And so I had a hard time wanting to let go of that. It was the fear of who am I going to be without this in my life? Yeah. And so it was like, I think it was day 21, day 23, day 23, another time I just, I drink and then I'd wake up the next day and be like, why am I doing this? Like, I've got to prove to myself I can get through this shit. And my girlfriend was getting fed up with it. And at this point, she was a couple months along. Um, and I just knew, like, I had to pull my head out of my ass if I was going to be a good dad. And so I'd always, I'd start over, like, the next day. I'd start again. And i get 21 days in it, fail it again. I was like, what the, f I'd be fucking done by now yeah. if I hadn't fucked up three Bro, times. I hear that a lot. People, people will say, people will say, dude, I'm, and this is how they justify it. I see it all the time. You know, oh, dude, I got 30 days in and, you know, I, I failed, but I learned what the program was about. The fuck dude, you did. I know exactly. I had, a, yeah. I had a, a buddy of mine who did it all except one day. Yeah, no. And he was telling me about it. And I was just like, ah, you didn't do it, though, dude. Yeah. You didn't do it. Yeah. Because <laughs> you have to start over. Yeah. Um, That's like running a marathon fucking and quitting literally on the last mile and then still claiming the little you know yeah, metal and saying i ran a marathon i, I exactly yeah. agree because it really is it's those last 20 days when it's become very monotonous yeah and that's one of the things that i've found is very hard about the phases of live hard mm -hmm. is once you've done 75 hard you kind of feel like you've climbed that mountaintop mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the other ones you're like it just feels like you're going through the motions mm -hmm. man and that's part of the process of why it's hard. And that's what people need to realize is the feeling of monotony is probably the hardest part of it all. Yeah, but dude, for us to be successful in life, we have to master those monotonous tasks. I agree. At 100% detail. Dude. And that's the biggest skill that people lack. 
I, if I hadn't gone straight from 75 hard into phase one of live hard, I wouldn't have finished my recent book. Yeah. Cause I used, that's awesome. I way. used the power list to finish my book. Cause every day at the top of my list, it said, write for like seven hours. And I made myself write between five and midnight every night for 30 fucking days. And if I hadn't have had that as a task, you write for seven hours straight. I did to finish the book. Holy fuck. It's not all good. When you, you think you get to yeah. a point, you get to a point of diminishing returns around three or four hours in, yeah. but I forced myself in the next yeah. morning, I'd next morning I'd start where I left off I'd reread and I'd edit and rewrite stuff. Um, but it was the top of my list every day was to do that. It makes sense why you're so good then you <laughs> practice every day. Dude, I have to, right? Yeah. Every day. I actually have gone That's through, incredible. I've gone through spurts where I haven't written for a couple of days and I feel stupid. What's like, the name of your last book for everybody? Cause they're going to want to buy it. Just speech off the, therapy, speech therapy. Um, and it was a book that I'd had the idea to write since 2017. It's a book about, I actually heard you talk about this on a recent podcast, how we have these occurrences in our day that ruin our day, but really it's just an event that's a part of that day. Bro. And so I've had this idea to write a book about all the little things like losing your keys, getting in a car wreck, you know, stupid shit that can derail you. Cause I used to be that person. Me too. Um, my temp- I'm still that person sometimes. Dude, when I can't yeah. find something I've lost, my yeah. temper will go fucking AWOL. It's in your fucking hand. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and I realized how much I let that stuff affect me. Yeah. And so in 2017, I was like, I'm going to write this book. And I pitched it to an agent at the time. She said it wouldn't sell. So I, I kind of just took her word for it and focused on other work. And in the back of my mind, I always wanted to write it. And coming off 75 hard, I felt that I had a really good knowledge of small tasks and how much they can either be positive or negative in your life because that's the whole program is these small things over and over. And I was like, this is a time to write the book. And I, I, I need to get it done as quickly as possible because I'm in this mindset right now where I know the work is going to be really authentic. And so I just phase one, that's what I did. I wrote the book and then I took the time off in between phase one and phase two. And then phase two, I was working on editing the book. So I had on my critical power list or the power list every day I had like edit for edit four chapters. And I worked on it constantly through that too. And so it's something actually, I just, since we last met, I actually finished another book. I finished the children's book that I was telling you I was going to write. Dude, that's awesome. And same thing. I used the phase three of live hard and I was like, you know what? I'm going to make myself write a spread every day to get this book done. And then I'm going to go through and work on the edits. And it's so, amazing how much you can accomplish in a short time when you're focused. I've, I've always been a big to-do list kind of person, yeah. but you know, a to-do list is very different. Like that's shit like change the light bulb and stuff. Right, right, and right. It's a habit I picked up from my dad because my dad always wrote lists. And so I always wrote lists probably for the past 10 years. Bro, my dad did that too. You know what he used to say to us? He'd say, look, here's the whole key to success. Make a list, call the list. When? Now. Yeah. Okay. Not when, W-I-N, but when. Like, when are you going to do it? We're going to yeah. do it now. Yeah. So it's make a list, call a list, when, now. And like, bro, that's like my dad's whole fucking method. There is... I used to, when I worked in office jobs, when I was first starting as a copywriter, I would take post-it notes and I'd line them up on my cubicle from top to bottom of what was the most important thing. And then as, uh, as I got them done, I'd take the post-it note off. And just like that mental aspect made me feel really productive in my yeah. days. But the difference between the power list and the to-do list for me is it's very easy to push your to-do list to the next day. Oh, yeah. And I've made myself a rule. Like People I've, think that the to-do list and the power list are the same thing. They're very different. Very different things. So I made myself a rule that I would write. I wrote my power list every day the day before based on how my day went. Like if I knew I had a meeting coming up or an email that I needed to get back to. And so I prioritized everything in my career 
that I had to do. And I told myself, if I write it the night before, I have to do it the next day. With the exception of like a circumstance out of my hands. Like sometimes I'd have like, you know, brand presentations as part of my career on there, but I'd, someone else would fumble the ball and wouldn't get it to me in time. So then I'd like be like, shit, okay, where can I pick up the slack and think of something else career-wise that I can, you know, fit in this day. And so I always wrote in the night before. And every night the night before I wrote, either write seven hours, edit four. And I told myself, I was like, if I don't do this, I'm, I'm going to fail. I'm going to consider it a fail if I fuck one of these up. And so um, it's something I still do now. Um, even when I wasn't on phase three in between, I was still doing those lists every day. And then I added to the list, I added, a what I call like, a, a burden of proof is what I wrote it down in next to. And it's, uh, identifying laws of attraction, things in my life that happened that day that reaffirm what I'm doing is in the right direction. Dude, super important. And so I started writing those down every day and it would be something as simple as like, uh, getting a free valet yeah i was like oh i that's that's money i attracted money to my life i got valet for free and i was expecting to pay for that dude have you read michael lozier's book the law of attraction yes that's that, that book he he's the only guy ever besides besides myself i think and i got it from him so it's that's where i got idea. it yeah from that book when yeah. he tells you to write that shit yes. down <laughs> like dude that that book it, 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 I've recommended that book for so long and people get it and they're like, this is a simple book. I'm like, that's the point is yeah. But you know, we talk about the law of attraction and all this shit and everybody wants to get super deep and go into meta and quantum physics and all these different things. And the truth of the matter is you don't need to understand all the shit. What you need to understand is how to use it. And mm -hmm. that's what that book is so good about. And what, the thing I picked up on that book was what you're talking about. Identifying it. Yeah. And it's, it's paying attention to when it comes back. And it's, it's things you don't expect. Yeah. You know, it's someone like reaching out to me with a, a potential project. Like I have people that I haven't talked to in five years that'll randomly email me, but like, Hey, we're working on this new hotel project. Do you want to be a part of it? And that stuff hadn't happened to me until I started identifying even the little things, like everything, like if a buddy pays for my meal for me, like everything like that, I write down this little notebook that I keep with me at all times. And it's really changed my level of gratitude with the world too. Yeah. Um, in the sense that when I was in that really dark place prior to 75 hard, it's easy to just think like nothing good happens to me. Mm -hmm. And you fall into that ditch of like, everything's just fucked up. Everything sucks. And even then there's probably little things happening to me, but I wasn't For sure. I wasn't identifying them. No, we're focused I, on how fucking Vic that we're the, we're the victim of the world. And you're focused on the force. You're focused on the one big thing that yeah. sucks. And then you don't notice all the little things and all those little things. Oh, what pile up into something awesome over time. Yeah, bro, that's fucking gold, man. That's a fact too. It is. You know, what's, what's so interesting, that one concept changed, changed my entire life, being mm. able to pay attention mm. to when it was coming back. Because what it does is it, as you pay attention to the feedback that you get, it actually teaches you, if you're intelligent, um, how to do it better, mm. like how to attract better. And uh, Man, it's cool to hear you talk about that. It's very, very few people talk about that. It's very similar to like getting in shape when you look in the mirror and you see yourself getting in better shape, how yeah. motivating it yeah. is. Yeah. To notice the little things happening, it motivates you to keep on that track. Dude, you know what I think, you know, you, you know what I've come to think about the law of attraction is, and this is how I think about it. And I, I believe this to actually be true, literally. And a lot of people will disagree, but- you know, when you get into, and, and we're going to get off track just for a second. Yeah, yeah. But it always you, happens with us. Yeah, yeah. 
when you get into the the quantum physical reality of what the 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 time space construct is everything comes back to a single point and it's not time is not linear it's 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 a loop it's already happened mm. and when you start to really examine that and then you think about well what is visualization then right people think it's like you're sitting there and you're actually like dreaming up what you want your life to be like but how i believe what it actually is and i think if people looked at it this way they would be a lot more disciplined about visualization and mm -hmm. attraction and more mindful but i actually believe that when we visualize and we do it properly and we sit down and we close our eyes and we take time to literally see the details of we want our life to be i personally believe that we are literally creating that in the future and if we all took that point of view and we said okay it's literal like i'm literally constructing my future with my mind when i visualize mm. if you got people to if people could just accept that as reality right and say fuck i don't care how i don't you, you don't need to know all the shit but if you took that serious how serious would you take your visualization you would take it a lot more serious right oh 100% absolutely and but do you get what i'm saying like what yeah. if it is really that way what if it is your when you visualize your life in the future, when you close your eyes and you're, you're going through these visualization exercises, what if you are literally, like literally creating the future version of yourself before it comes to you? Like, that's how I look at it. And people are like, how the fuck do you visualize? I'm like, very seriously, because I believe that it's literal because I've seen evidence that it is in my life. I, I have too. And it was something I didn't notice. I did a lot growing up as a teenager. Um, I would do it with little things. And then six months later, you're like, this is exactly how I thought it was going to happen. Um, but to your point, what you're saying is, what is the benefit of not believing that? Like, there is why, none. There's none. Yeah. So why would you not choose to believe that's possible? Like, I, 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 I would, think, what I don't look, understand. Bro, I think the whole... I, I think, you know, this is going to tie into the fucking last couple of years and conspiracies and this and that and this, but, and we'll get back on track here, but like, dude, I truly believe that the human potential has been purposefully hidden from us mm. for, for centuries for the purpose of easier control of the human race. And I, you know, when you hear things like, oh, people, human only uses 10% of their brain, bullshit. They're not telling you what the other 90% does because they don't want you to fucking use it. And dude, when you get into this, you know, and you get into religions and you start reading about different religions and, you know, all, all of them just take Christianity, for example, and they talk about Jesus. Jesus talked about his brothers and sisters, that people were his brothers and his sisters. Well, what does that insinuate? That insinuates that we are the same. All connected. Right. And what does that also insinuate? It insinuates that the powers that Jesus had, all people have if they choose to exercise them. So if he's calling us his brothers and sisters and we are considered his people, well then how do we know that we're not all directly connected to God to where we can literally create our entire existence? Because he was able to do so as well. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like then, it's so like what if what if for the last 2000 years 
They've actually been lying to us. We don't even know if it's actually been 2,000 years. That's what they fucking tell us. It could have been 10,000 years. It could have been 400 years. We don't know because they write the shit, right? Mm -hmm. So just, just something to think about. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then thinking like non, non-religious about it, what I was saying earlier is where's the benefit in believing it's not possible to create your future? Because all that does is lock into a state of hopelessness and victimization. For sure. Like everybody, whether you're religious or not, should believe that you can create your future because it's enjoyable to visualize things. It's enjoyable to daydream. It's enjoyable to let your imagination run off. Like you're depriving yourself of like some actual joy in your life. And if it doesn't turn out the way you visualize it or not, who cares? You had years of like, good times and that kind of positive mindset will change the way you look at fucking everything Man, it sure does and that's just what people aren't doing they yeah. don't want to believe it they want to live in like this you know this this state of everything everything's fucked everything sucks well that's on purpose that's that's the narrative that's put down because when you drive the human potential or hope for anything away mm -hmm. what do they have they're they're miserable they don't have a purpose they're not inspired which makes them all easier to suppress Oh, 100%. If, yeah. if you can put someone in a state of fear, you can get them to do whatever you want. Yeah. And lack of hope, too. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, oh, it's hopeless. Like, we, there's why nothing we try? can do. So why? The greatest thing they, that, that people can do to oppress a population is convince them that there's nothing they can do about it. Well, it's, uh, have you read that book, Man's Search for Meaning? Mm -mm. Um, it's written by Viktor Frankl. He was a, a psychiatrist put into a concentration camp. And going into the concentration camp, because he was a psychiatrist, he viewed the experience completely differently. And he noticed that one thing that every, every camp he went to had in common is around Christmas, a lot of people would die. And around people's birthdays, they would tend to die. And it's because during those are the times when they're like, oh, it's another year, another Christmas. And you lose hope around those time periods. And he said you could watch a man in the span of 24 hours go from having enough energy to get through the day to just dying because they gave up hope. Yeah. And it's, it's a book that I read. I actually walked into a Barnes and Noble and I asked the guy, I said, what's a book that changed your life? Because I was looking for another book to read during 75 hard. And he recommended that book to me and I'd heard about it. I heard my dad talk about it. Um, but reading that book, he ended up, you know, he ended up surviving, getting out of the last camp and writing this book. And he pioneered this whole new way of approaching psychiatry where instead of looking at your past, um, you know, a lot of psychiatrists and therapists, they want to know what got you there, like what happened in your life that made you the way you are. He completely changed it and said, no, I want to focus on the present and the future. I don't care what got you here. What is your purpose today? Mm -hmm. And he found that by helping people identify a purpose, um, no matter how small that did more for depression and anxiety and stress than any amount of like unraveling of their past. Bro, I, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that if you have discipline, and you have purpose and you have gratitude together, you cannot be mentally fucked. I agree. You cannot be mentally fucked. I, I have a buddy that's going through a really tough time right now. Yeah. I actually talked to him a couple of days ago and I didn't realize how depressed he was. And he's, he's very successful. He sold his company about five years ago and he's just been living off the money from it. And but told him, I said, let me guess. I bet you feel purposeless. And he's like, that's exactly how I feel. And I said, you sold your company five years ago and you haven't done anything since. Yeah. He's lived the life. He's yeah. bought, he bought a, you know, had a nice car collection. He lived yeah. all over the beach. And I was yeah. like, I told him, I said, but that shit's only cool for a minute. It's that purpose. Yeah. Right. Purpose. And I told him, I said, 
you need to do this 75 hard program. And I gave him the copy of your book that I had. And I said, if you do this and you actually do it, I was like, I guarantee you, you will pull out of this hole, but you have to actually do it. And you have, you will have a reason to get up every day other than you just getting up and figuring out what you're going to spend your money on. Yeah. And it will change the way you feel about it. And he took it very seriously and he's been reading it. And I told him, I said, this is actually Monday of this week. And I said, I'm going to go talk with Andy about this on Thursday. Um, you're going to listen to that podcast too, because you are the exact example of how the purpose of just this program that feels like some fitness challenge, or it feels like some, you know, at home, let's get buff kind of thing. But really it, it gives you purpose that you otherwise wouldn't find by just doing Life. monotonous things. Yeah, right. Yeah, bro. And it, it like even like something as simple as, you know, reading 10 pages a day, when you do it as part of a program, it feels like you have that bigger picture at the yeah. end. You're like, all this is going to lead to being successful. And then I'll be in this, you know, this club of people that have completed 75 hard. And that motivation can overcome so much bullshit. How old is this dude? He's 30, 38, I believe. Yeah, bro. You just started, dude. 38, Like you might've made a whole bunch of money, yeah. but you just started. Like that, that, your, that friend of yours, you know, take some of that money and start making some impact in that community. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm not talking about just writing checks. Go see people, see how it changes, help them. You know, maybe, maybe when you're a successful, like, dude, I, I think the, one of the biggest purposes that, that, a successful person who has exited can redevelop for themselves is uh is serving their their real community mm -hmm. like right there and it's it's you know we can get into that different but like um you know i see a lot of guys suffer from that a lot of a lot of men and women who have been successful who who exit their place of success that's why people people always ask me, like, why don't you just sell and do it and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what the fuck would I, I was, do? I was just going to use yeah. that as an example. I said, it's why you see people who are 70 and worth hundreds of millions still working. Yeah. People are like, why don't you just quit and go do something else? No, I need that purpose. Yeah. And the job it's, ain't done. Like retirement to me sounds like absolute hell. Yeah, me too. And dude. I watched my grandparents when they retired. I, my, my grandpa fell into severe dementia. And my grandma became incredibly depressed. And I do feel like a lot of it was that loss of purpose. I think when you stop working every day, you know, they stopped working and started taking their social security and they just sat home all day watching TV. But dude, look at the, look at the, um, look at the message that's, that's sent down to about success when it comes to that. Like, dude, what do they, what do they tell you when you're 20 years old? They say, oh, bro, build a company or become rich, retire at what, what age? They 40, always, well, 40 yeah and you sit on the beach and you could chill and you could do this sounds and this awful and this. bro it's but that's the dream for a lot of people right so they go out they attack the dream they get to that place and they're like holy shit this was the wrong fucking way right yeah and, and then after a couple of years of it you you either are in like a hole of depression and you know drug and alcohol abuse because you can afford to fuck off all the time yeah or you end up coming back to the workforce, starting another company or doing something completely different with your life. Yeah. And it's hopefully the latter because I've known a lot of successful uh, people, a handful legitimately names that you would recognize that went on to sell for lots of money in the bees. And, uh, and they're now, now they're dead. Right. I think Tony Shea is an example of well, that. That's one of the guys I was thinking. Of. I think we talked yeah. about that when it happened. I was actually yeah. out of I was out at Lake Mead with one of his yeah. buddies. And he's one happened. of the most brilliant fucking men yeah. that ever fucking walked the face of the earth. And because he lacked the purpose post 
success now he's gone that's why the goal in life shouldn't be finances it should be purpose like yeah. that's what people need to understand is you shouldn't be it's making money's awesome yeah. having nice things is fucking cool but your ultimate goal in life should be to find purpose that the money is secondary to it because mm -hmm. you know with me as a writer for example all i've ever wanted to do is write for almost as long as i can remember um i couldn't imagine doing anything other than writing and when i'm 80 and I'm getting on in life, you better fucking believe I'm going to be writing books about what it's like. Yeah, to... but think how good your shit's going to be then. Oh, it's going to be so good. Yeah. I tell people all the time, I was like, I can't wait till like, I look like some weathered old dude that spent his life at sea and I just have stories. Fucking so Hemingway. Much... Oh, That's so much you, to bro. draw from. Yeah. Well, ho hopefully minus the uh, the suicide, but yes, Hemingway. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying like the best writers are people who have lived life. You have to live an interesting life. Yeah. To be, I think creatives in general. Yeah. Writers, musicians, artists. Um, even if you consider yourself a creative entrepreneur, you have to live an interesting life to have things to draw from. Yeah. You can't be content with the, doing the same old thing. And that was kind of like 75 hard for me too, is I've never been one who's really cared about fitness. I never one who wanted to be like super buff and fit. Yeah, you're fucking ripped now though, bro. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny as I actually had, I was, I was leaving the gym here. I stayed at my hotel and I had one of the bellhops stop me. And he asked me about training legs. And he was like, I saw you when you checked in. And I was like, man, that motherfucker is cut up. Yeah. I've never had that happen to me. Yeah. I've never been someone that people ask fitness advice from. I've usually, you know, a, lot of, a lot of career advice, a lot of life advice but I've never been someone that people seek out for fitness advice. And that was a new thing for me. Yeah. Um, and that was the thing about 75 hard being new for me too, is I never really wanted to do like some fitness challenge or whatever, you know, people like to call that shit, but I wanted, I mentally wanted to heal. And that was, that's always been my big thing is what can I do to be more creative? What can I do to feel more um, connected to my world? Because it helps me when I write. Um, and that's why, like, when I say, like, I really did do it strictly for the mental aspect. And I think we were talking about this last time I was here. In every stage of the program, I've experienced with my diet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 75 hard, I followed a pretty, you know, rigorous, you know, typical bodybuilding diet where it's like portion control, like healthy carbs, healthy protein. Um, and then phase one, I did more of like a paleo thing. And I was really lightheaded, really foggy. Um, now I just do like this meat and fruit thing where I've cleaned up my diet to where I only eat organic, only eat grass fed. And I feel more energetic and creative than ever before. And it's awakened this newfound appreciation for food in me I never really had. Mm -hmm. um, and I started hunting again. Um, I grew up hunting a lot, but I started hunting again just for the reason of I wanted to be more connected to what I put in my body. I wanted to put in the hard work to do it. Um, and you talk about some other episodes where once 75 hard becomes like, you know, almost monotonous, you try and find other ways to challenge yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and so now like I, everything I can do that is the harder route, I, I'm trying to intentionally pick because I know the reward of doing something difficult and I appreciate it more than I ever had. What would you say to someone who, who you know, is right now, like they're, they're kind of where you were, um, sort of lost, not completely lost sort of lost yes the thing is like i still had book deals i still had money coming in bro was... it's almost worse than being completely lost yeah because it's fucking purgatory uh-huh you're making money you're somewhat successful everything from the outside seems like it's okay and but you said, on the inside know that it isn't and everyone says to you why aren't you happy look at your life you know yeah. i was living in a condo against the beach in la i could walk to the fucking beach I had a beautiful girlfriend um thankfully i still do and it was like the life that everyone's like, dude, you're living the life. And I was like, dude, I am so 
fucking miserable. Yeah. And people just don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, dude. But sorry, you were going to so, say no, something. No, no, I was going to say. So what would, you know, like, because there's so many people out there living in the purgatory. Yeah. Right. It's like, limbo, man. Right. They're not, they're not completely fucked, but they're in that place where they're, they're surviving. Um, and, and it may appear that they're even thriving. What would you say to those people? Become more of a leader in your community and your friend group. And that's something that I've realized 75 hard changed for me too. Like I said earlier, my friends used to always come to me for business advice. And I've noticed just my direct relationships with people around me. They look to me more now than ever before because they know I've done 75 hard. They know how difficult it is. And for the first time in my life, I was telling someone this, I think a couple of months ago, I, I feel truly called to do something more. And I don't know that I ever would have got there had I not done the program because I started seeing the impact I had on people by doing something that I did solely for myself. Um, I didn't, I, I never once posted about my progress. I'd post, I posted at the end of every phase. I'm not one no, I'm not one to tell people what I'm up to. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't seeking like that daily validation of look at me, I'm on day 37 kind of shit. Um, but I realized when I did, and my audience is primarily built up with people who like my writing or they envied my, my travel party-esque lifestyle. And so when I posted that first 75 hard post on my story about successfully completing it, it was one of my most liked and interacted with posts I've ever put on a story. And I realized that by making myself better just that leading by example is powerful bro and i didn't have that before and so someone that's successful now find other ways you can lead by example in your life find other ways you can encourage people to better themselves and i, th I think of an episode you just recently had you had an individual ask how you deal with the anger of being on 75 hard and your your exact advice was you know help others it's so fucking true yeah um, and when you have other people tell you, you motivated them, like my accountant did 75 hard yeah, and he tore his ACL with five days left and he still finished it. Fuck yeah. And he called me and he told me, he said, if you ever get a chance to talk to Andy, you need to tell him how grateful I am because that's awesome. I was alcoholic. Um, he has three kids. He's like, my marriage was shit. My wife was mad at me. I wasn't spending time with my kids. I come home from the office and instead of playing catch with my kid, I would drink a couple beers and watch TV. He's like, 75 hard fixed my life. And he told me, he said, I will never go back to being who I was before. And he's like, had I not watched you do it, Kyle? Because he knew my lifestyle. He does my receipts. He does my accounting. He knew yeah. how much I used to spend partying. Yeah. He's like, had I not seen you do it, I never would have even tried something like that. That's awesome. And I've had a lot, a lot, a lot of people um, come to me with that story that because I seem like the last guy that would do something like that, it motivated them to do something they needed in their life well bro you're you're your own man like i could see where you would have a hard time following somebody else's shit dude i would get dude, I, well, I do i'm every fucking time I remember, I remember the first time i failed like you say that and i'm just like yeah i bet that was hard <laughs> the first time i failed i was on day 21 and i was putting together a bed i had just got a bed that i was putting together for my girlfriend and i and i was so frustrated because i couldn't get the bolts to go into this bed post and i was losing my fucking shit i was so angry and I was like, why am I angry still? Like, I'm on this program, I'm doing things right. I'm sober. Why am I so mad? And it was because I wanted to fucking drink. And I couldn't because this asshole online told me in this program I couldn't drink. And then I was 
sitting there for hours. I was like, you know what? Fuck this guy. Yeah. And I went out that night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that happened to every time I failed, like seriously, it was because I, I wanted to be independent. I get that. I wanted to be my own person. Yeah. I get that, dude. It's hard for me to follow shit too. Oh man. Especially, like, especially when you're a fucking, when you're, when you have the leader in you already, yeah. it, it can be difficult. I can, I can relate to that. But that's the thing. Setting yeah. our heart humbled me. Yes. It humbled me not only physically, but mentally. And mm -hmm. it made me much more open to other people's input. Yeah. Um, you know, as a creative director, when I work on projects, typically I'm the, I'm the last man standing on every opinion. Like I can veto or agree with whatever comes my way. And so even in my professional life, I have become so much more open to other people's opinions. And I'm so okay with being wrong yeah because the point's never to be right it's to accomplish a mission and exactly yeah. and i used to i used to be okay with being wrong only because i liked the idea of failure as an exercise for creative inspiration i liked failing in the yeah, sense it's that, like having a bad breakup or or having well, it's like a, oh i'm gonna write some yeah, sweet right, fucking tweet right. about what just happened to right. me. i used to like failure for that aspect but egotistically it would still kick my ass it would, yeah it would it would upset me um but now, like, I'm really okay with being wrong. I'm really okay with just sitting back and letting people, like, voice their opinion over me if, it's, if I feel it's the right one. It's like, you know what, dude? And it was 75 Hard that made me that humble. Dude, you know, something for me, too, man, on that along the line, like, I used to have a hard time, like, where I, I had to fucking engage everybody. Like, if they disagree with me and I knew I was right, I had to engage it. <laughs> and now I'm like, look, man, I'm just telling you how, how I see that what's happening. You can either accept that I, you think I know what I'm talking about or you could think I'm wrong. I think the real world evidence speaks that I'm doing okay and I'm somewhat intelligent. Um, and if you disagree, cool. You think I'm an asshole? Cool too. I don't really care. Like I don't value at all anybody else's opinion of me anymore. Like at all. And it's super mm. fucking freeing. Dude, I, I, I got that from the program, but also from becoming a parent. Yeah. Um, I was telling someone the other day, I was like, you want to know someone who truly doesn't give a fuck? It's parents taking their kids to a nice restaurant. Yeah. They don't give a fuck that they're going to ruin your night because you're there paying a hundred bucks a plate because they want to do something nice with their kids. Yeah. And I was like, there is very few levels of people who give less fucks than that parent. Yeah. And you have all these single people that are like, Oh, I don't care what people think of me. It's like, yeah, you do. Yeah. You would never do that. Yeah. And it used to be something that bothered me when I was at nice restaurants. Yeah, I, yeah. Didn't want to, I didn't want to see kids there. Yeah. And now it's like, no, my kid goes everywhere with me. Yeah. I take my kid to bars. I take him in like, you know, lounge. So you're that fucking parent. Oh, I want to yeah. snatch your kid's fucking hair. I like, take shut him. up, kid. I well, he's, <laughs> the thing is, he's, he's, very, he's very well behaved because I'm pretty mellow with yeah. it. And they feed off our energy. But I take my kid everywhere because I want him to experience stuff with yeah, me. Yeah, no, it's And cool I don't fun. care if I've said yeah. other people. It's like, I don't care. Yeah. And uh, between 75 hard and becoming a parent in the middle of it, my, like you're saying, like, I don't engage in comments anymore. No, I don't like, care. I'm, I used to like arguing with people on Instagram. Yeah. And I realized how big of a drain it is on my time. It's not even worth arguing. Because most of the people that have based an opinion on you are not open to any discussion about it at all. Like, it's a competition of who can outwit who and who can zing who, and who can be right. And, and like, dude, that's not productive for solutions. You can't and have- I'm trying a, to solve shit. You can't have a good conversation online no. either. You just can't. No, I agree. What do you, dude, what do you think of like the, you know, the confidence, the grit, the fortitude, and those qualities that we talk about, the, the program helping produce for people? 
How did you see those things show up for you? Well, the confidence for sure comes from the fact of doing something you don't think you can. Yeah. Um, that's why I was confident I could finish my book in 30 days. I knew that if I did something small over time, that it would produce the book I wanted. And so I had confidence in my work and all of my projects now I take on. Like I just feel almost unstoppable in the sense that if I can dissect them down, like, okay, this is my big goal. How do I break this down? And if I just do that every fucking day, I know I'm going to reach that goal. And so there's very few things that I feel like are out of my reach when it comes to my career-wise. And then like we were talking about with grit, I test myself all the time now. Like I mm -hmm. try to make things harder. Um, like sometimes I'll be like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to take an eight-minute cold shower just to do the extra. And I'll yeah. do it just to know I can do it. And yeah. then it makes five feel very easy after that. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of other worries in my life. But I, I really do test myself often now just because I want to accomplish something. Yeah. And I do that same shit, bro, with the showers. For the hell of it. I also why, do why it on the treadmill, too. Like I, know, I, do, I used to do this thing that I picked up from Ed Milet, which he's a brilliant dude. Um, and he's like, just one more rep or one more minute every uh -huh. single time. But now I'm up to five extra minutes. So if I even catch myself thinking one more minute, I force myself to do five. So <laughs> but the rule is only one time. So like, I won't go to 10 because what'll happen is I'll get caught up in the cycle. I won't be able to get off the fucking treadmill. Mm. So, but if I think it one time, I'm like, all right, one more. I'm like, all right, that's five minutes. And I do it. I thought I was the only person that did that. Yeah, shit. no, but so I, I, you got to cap it off at one at one cycle of extra. I wasn't yeah. I wasn't a big runner. I've always hated running. Um, so one of the things when I started Sun Five Hard is I started running. Um, I used to think running any more than a mile was like the definition of hell on earth. Yeah, I still think that uh, running sucks. <laughs> running running sucks. But I started running because it sucks. And I used to go when I, at first I I just like I'd run as far as I could and I'd stop and walk, catch my breath, and run again. And then it got to the point where if I could see it, I had to run to it. And so like I'd, <laughs> I'd turn down streets. I'd be like, don't look down that street. Because if I see that Suburban at the end, I'm going to have to run to it. Yeah. Because I would tell myself I could make it there. Yeah. And so I'd have to like pre-plan a running route. I'd yeah. be like, don't get distracted. Yeah. And it would happen often to where like I'd turn and I'd see like a construction crane. I'd be like, fuck it, I can run there. Yeah. And because I saw it and I thought about it for a second, I made myself run there. Yeah. And so a lot of my outdoor cardio would go from 45 minutes to like an hour and a half. Yeah. Because I would just keep doing it. Bro, that's crazy. Because that's the exact same shit I'm talking about. That's I didn't, so weird. I didn't think someone become, else did that shit. You become weird in certain ways. Just because you want to prove things to yeah. yourself. Yeah. It's, it's, it's becoming addicted to the test. It really is. And then it makes the easy things so much easier. It, dude, look. Like, when you start operating on that level that you're talking... Because what you're talking about is like the natural progression past live hard. That's just who you become. You mm -hmm. become someone who constantly tests yourself to become better, even on the smallest little things. And um, people look at you like you're fucking And it's accountability out. to yourself. There's, yeah, no re there's, no reward. there's no reward in that. Because, dude, what, you re what I realized in my brain was that if I bitch out on that, if I say, oh, okay, do an extra minute, and I don't do it, or if I say, all right, there's that, that block over it, because I, I do that thing, with, but I do it with like a, a jog or a walk. Mm -hmm. I have to go touch it. So like, if I think that I have to go touch it, I have to touch it. Mm -hmm. So like, I have this weird, these weird little quirks. That like if people ever come work out with me, they'll be like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, bro, just touch that. Just touch it. I'm the same yeah. way. And it's, and, that, it's like some weird OCD. Behavior. Yes, it is. But it's what it, what it really is, is in your brain. I'm what I'm doing is I'm telling my brain, I'm a control bitch. Mm. Like you're not in control of this shit. I'm in control of this shit. And, uh, 
once I recognize that consciously, it's like almost like a constant competition with your own self. Absolutely. Yeah. And it all rooted back to what I was saying earlier, where I told myself I could get through this, I could get through anything. I like knowing I can do that shit because I really don't feel like much can derail me at this point. That's it. Um, when shit goes awry or you know something doesn't go as planned to me anymore, it rarely rattles me like it used to. Like mm. I'll be upset, I'll be frustrated. I'm human. Yeah, but it doesn't stop me. I'm just yeah. like, all right, fuck it. We'll just yeah. do this instead. You know. Yeah. Um, and it's just those small tests of doing it to myself all the time. Bro, I constantly tell myself every time something bad happens like that, I'm like, all right, it's fucking test day. It's what it is. Fucking test day. Like, cause usually the bad shit that gets it, it's what we talked about in the beginning of the show where like that one little thing can do really. Yeah. Yes. But dude, I live a life to where that one little thing literally happens every fucking day before mm -hmm. I even wake up and get out of fucking bed mm -hmm. because of the amount of shit that I have to answer to. So like every single day, by the time I fucking pick up my phone, there's a thing there that's going to fuck me up. Right. And so now I've just had to start looking at it. Like, yeah, that's what, that's what the fuck it is. Like, it's not even, it's not even something to be upset about at all. It's just part of the job. Yeah, you learn yeah. to be selective with your energy. Yeah. Um, and I think being selective with your energy is something that a lot of people don't have either. Um, Ten years ago, bro, five years ago, I would fucking melt down over that shit. And then I would come <laughs> in the office and I would be mean as fuck to everybody. I would fucking, not mean, but like over, like aggressive, I guess. Like, like just not a cool dude. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't come in like trying to fucking wreck people, but like if you got in my way that day, it was a bad thing. And like, who wants that reputation? No, I fucking who, hate who it. wants to be I known as someone it. like that? Like it sounds fucking awful. But when you're young, yeah, when you're young, like you almost you, think it's cool. You think it's cool. Yeah. You're like, oh, don't fuck cool. with him today. It's not. You no, get older and you realize those kind of people are miserable and no one, wants, no one wants to be around them. Yeah, bro. It was something that it's I mean, it's it's something I still have to work on sometimes because I can get fucking because I'm a high strung dude and I'm mm -hmm. intense. But uh, man, it's like, it's made my life much better leaving that in the past. Yeah. You know, and, and working consciously. And this program has really helped me with that a lot. The program. I st sometimes I still go nuclear, but the, 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 nuclear, the nuclear explosions are much smaller and less frequent. Yeah. I mean, I th the program too, like what I was saying is it teaches you where to focus your energy. And I've even noticed, you know, I can't be friends with some people. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And they're good people. Nothing, nothing. No, I get Nothing it. about them is wrong. Yeah. But like my energy and where I'm at in my life. And like I said, I feel called to do something much more. I just can't be friends with certain people. Yeah. And they're great people, but just the vibe they put off now just really bothers the hell out of me. Yeah. Dude, you become zero. You become zero. I guess you have zero tolerance for the story, the bullshit stories uh -huh. that people. It's like for me, dude. Here's the problem I have with the, what you're talking about is like these people who I like and who I've been around and who I appreciate and love, you know, self-victimization is mm -hmm. a real fucking thing. And it's a strategy, by the way, this is a, this is a, this is a media strategy to demoralize people, to keep people down. Okay. And when, when people self-victimize now at this point in time, I have zero tolerance for it. I can't mm -hmm. fucking hear it. Like, I know you're my friend and I'm here for you and I'll help you. But I am not here to hear your fucking bullshit story about why the fuck you aren't where the fuck you want to be or even on the path to where you want to be. I, I just can't. Because, like, dude, if I'm around those people, I come off as an asshole because I'm like, bro, you're full of shit. You're full of shit. Yeah. Because they are. 
you know? And, and so like now I've had to like, like if you want me to tell you that, I will tell you that, but I can't tolerate because so much of the small talk that happens, I, this is what I've noticed. You know, I've been doing the program since the start. Mm-hmm. Um, like the small talk that, that most people have is like, if you really listen to it, it's really a competition about how shitty their fucking mm-hmm. lives are. And dude, I cannot be present for that. People don't like to hear they're the cause of their misery because then it forces them to take responsibility. Yeah. And it's um, easier to be lazy than it is to get up and fucking do something about it. I read something about that recently where it said the, the benefit of doing nothing is you can always do it perfectly. Yeah. Um, and so I, I thought about that for a long time. I was like, man, that is a profound fucking line. I yeah. Where I read that. But it's, it's easy to be. It's, it's a Thomas Sowell quote. It's fantastic. It's, it's easy to, uh, it's something along the lines. And then he says it's, it's basically easier to feel uh, morally superior mm-hmm. from that position. Because it's, it's just, it's crazy to me how much people, like, because I write a lot of stuff that like you're talking about where um, I try to encourage people to put the power back in their own hands. And the amount of blowback I get from something that is meant to be empowering blows my fucking mind and it's because it shines a light on their own it's like i'm saying they they, shit, they don't want to know they're capable because then now they have to blame themselves and they're afraid it's going to make them feel worse where if you can look at it correctly every bit of that understanding is going to help you it's uh, i found the quote here it's thomas soul the beauty of doing nothing is that you can do it perfectly only when you do something is it almost impossible to do it without mistakes? Therefore, people who are contributing nothing to society except their constant criticisms can feel both intellectually and morally superior. That's exactly the quote I read. Yeah. I couldn't remember who wrote that. Yeah. He's a genius. His shit is fucking amazing. It's phenomenally yeah. profound, especially yeah. what we've seen the last two and a half years. Yeah. And like I think we talked about this too, is when we when we knew we were gonna re- record this podcast. Um now more than ever is when people need to be doing this kind of thing. Yeah. Well, dude, it's what we're talking about here, ironically enough, because that's not why I started the fucking program, but it is 100% the answer to the problems in our culture. It's 100%. I agree. Yeah. Our problem in culture right now is not going to be solved by Donald Trump when he gets reelected or whatever people think. Mm -hmm. Like people think, and I agree, we need some help. Like there's some fucking rogue motherfuckers doing some bad shit. But the point of the matter is that's still not going to solve your shit. Right. And for us, it's what you said about being a leader, dude. It's the ripple. It's the unintended ripple effect that it creates that it will actually fix society. The problem that I see is that most people feel so insignificant and so irrelevant because of the constant beatdown that society puts on them that they don't even understand the impact that they can make by just raising their own personal standards. And if they raise their standards, other people around them, their accountant or mm-hmm. their neighbor or their sister or their brother, they say, holy shit, I could be better too. If you feel irrelevant, you will become relevant in your friend group by doing something like this. Yeah. Um, something that happened to me is because when I was doing 75 hard, I had- But man, you see what I'm saying though? Like oh. that, that's the, we have a culture yes. problem in America at the ground level. It's mm-hmm. not, this is not something that a politician can fix. This is something that we- as individuals can fix. And it's, it's kind of cool because 
you know, everybody's looking around for who's going to fix the shit when the answer is really you. You be the one to encourage your friends. You be the one yeah. to change your family member's perception. We talked about this last time where social media has made it very easy to perpetuate bad habits because when you put some woe is me post out there, a lot of people will be like, they'll feel bad for you. I don't and like that shit no more, no matter how sad that it in, is. That attention makes you feel relevant. And yeah. so people, you know, they go to that default of being defeated all the time because it gets uh, attention. Yeah. Um, but like I was saying, what, what people need to do is if you're the one that does this program, you, your people around you, you know, your spouse, your, your boyfriend, your kids, your direct family members, they will be motivated by you. Absolutely. And I was at a wedding in California and I was probably like day 30 or 40 in the middle of the program. And I mean, that's probably one of the hardest places not to drink is at a wedding. And my girlfriend's family, um, it was one of their weddings, was bugging me because like, they knew they knew I was a drinker. They knew that's what I liked. And they're like, why aren't you drinking? Why aren't you drinking? And I didn't even have to defend myself. My girlfriend stood up and I could tell just by the way she said it, she was proud of me. She's like, oh, he's doing that 75 hard program. He doesn't need any of this right now. Yeah. And the way she like, came to bat for me, that's I awesome. remember thinking, damn, like she, I could feel the pride in her voice that I had gone that far in a program that was that difficult for me because she knew that by me getting better, it was going to help our relationship and it was going to have a better life for our son. And that was very motivating for me to have her go to bat for me like that. Bro, that's, those are huge moments. Yeah. And you start realizing, who, well, you probably realize, damn, I, I got an awesome girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, may, it made me feel just like very... Um, almost like wanted, like yeah. she wanted me as her boyfriend in that moment. Cause she was proud to talk about what I'd done. And she was looking at everyone trying to like peer pressure me into something as almost like being lesser than. Yeah. And I mean, I've been on the other side of that. And I used, me always, too. I used to always be trying to get my friends. To drink. My friends like you're so like, I'm trying to hurt you. It's cause like, bro, I like, I understand that like we have a lot of fun. We fucking yeah. party. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, if you, it's not, a, it's not, a, people feel like it's a malicious thing. It's not mm, that it's not, they're just not aware. Yeah. And yeah. it, it feels better when you're not the only one fucked up. Too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like it feels sure. better when, because part of you knows, you know, that person making that choice is doing something to better themselves. Yeah. And whether subconsciously or not, um, you're aware that they're doing something better than you are. You're like, okay, if I can get this person to drink with me, now we're both down this level of being stupid right yeah, now. Yeah, no shit. And it's just, it's just, it's the reason why people always want to do drugs with other people. Yeah. It's just that, that shared experience. And people talk about how they connect over drug use. It's like, yeah, you connect to our drug use and the fact that you both are doing something fucking dumb. Yeah. And it makes you feel closer to that yeah. person. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, when, when people are trying to encourage you to drink, it's not malicious. But yeah. I think subconsciously you crave being on the same level. Dude, what do you think? Like when we talk about the alcohol use, I've, I've, become to, I've come to see alcohol as a little bit different than what I used to see it as. Like, do you, have you ever, this is kind of a weird, like, I can't help but think this just because of what the fuck is going on. But like, do you ever think like, man, it's really fucked up how hard they push alcohol into the society that we live in as a norm thing? Yeah. Like, it, like, it, like I look at it now and I'm like, I see it differently. And bro, by the way, I still drink. I just well, don't drink very often. I'm the same way. Yeah. Like when I'm not on the program, I'll drink here and there. Yeah. I love a good fucking cocktail and I love a good bourbon. But I don't let myself get drunk to the point that I feel um, out of control. Right. Because I almost feel like, like you're saying, I feel like there is a, there's a desire of 
some elitist or people above you to get you into that state of being stupid. Bro, that's what I'm getting at. So you're re you're picking up what I'm laying down. Dude, motherfucker, they push this shit on us to make us dumb and stupid and dependent on it so they can fucking take from us. Like, that's how I see it. Well, I So see now I see the, sobri the sobriety aspect of it. I'm like, Oh, fuck you guys. I see that too. It's yeah. like, uh, what was it, Caesar that said, like, give them bread, wine, and games. And yeah. You know, you can pull off anything behind yeah. their back. Um, and what we got? We got fucking fast food. We got delivery pizza. We got alcohol in every single fucking social environment and every single commercial telling you that if you drink, you're awesome. Um, we got fucking every sports team out there now propagating more information. Like, it's fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's like you're, I'm seeing the matrix. Like I see it. Like my brother just watched the matrix for the first time ever. What the fuck? I know. Is he friends with DJ? I don't, I guess. So, he, and he was like, <laughs> those guys don't watch anything. <laughs> Sal was like, man, like now I kind of see what you're saying. I'm like, yeah, bro. Like I'm the dude staring at the fucking screen that everybody else is looking at. And it looks like zeros and ones. And I'm like, nah, this is, I actually see so what. Have you read the book, The Mastery of Life by Don Miguel Ruiz Jr.? Uh -uh. So it's the son of the, the man who wrote The Four Agreements. Um, in the beginning of That's the- That's a great book. Oh, I've read all the Ruiz family books. Um, I'd, I'd read them before, but in 75 Hard and the other phases, I'd gone back and read them all again. Um, in the opening of that Mastery of Life book, he says that when you get to a point in your life where you feel like you're meant for something more, it's like going to a party and you're the only sober one. And everyone's drunk and they're living in the oh, drama and they're living in the drama. Dude. And you can't, it's like if you've ever been sober and had a conversation with a drunk friend about something serious, you can't have the conversation. No. It won't happen. And so he says, when you feel like your life is meant for more, you know, you're trying to talk to people that are drunk at the party still. They're not gonna understand until they're you tell your friend. What's oh, the name of this book? The Mastery of Life. Okay. It's the analogy he makes up front. Um and it's really true. Like when your friend's drunk, you say, oh, we'll have this conversation tomorrow. Like some people just aren't ready to hear what they are capable of. And I, I, the Matrix made me think of that because, you know, the people that choose, you know, I think it's his name's Cyrus or whatever in the movie that chooses to go back yeah, yeah, yeah. because he wants to enjoy the steak yeah. again and stuff. A lot of people choose to not Wake accept up. their, yeah. they choose to not accept their power because it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one thing this program did for me is it helped me realize that I am capable of a lot more. And, you know, an interesting story too about talking about, you know, being around the party scene is one of the days of 75 hard, I was in Las Vegas and I was gambling at roulette and I was sober and I won a couple thousand dollars and I was sober enough to walk away from the table. And I was like, fuck yeah, there's a win right there. If I was drunk, I would have kept playing. Yeah. Um, and then the next morning I got up at five to go for a run. And I was running down the strip and it was one of the rare days it rains in Vegas too. So I'm running down the strip in the rain and I'm watching people stumble out of cabs, going back to their hotels, people that have been out at clubs all night. And I used to revel in that. I used to think, you know, the all nighter was like yeah. the, the ultimate badge of honor. Yeah. And I'm just watching all these people and I remember thinking to myself, man, this is so much better than what they're doing right now. Yeah. Like I'm actually kicking Vegas's ass right now. Yeah. I won money from the casino. I'm out and bettering myself. And then as I was running back, I think I might have told you this story. I saw a man harassing a girl with a backpack. And I stopped and I asked her, I said, are you okay? And she said, no, this guy won't leave me alone. And he kept saying to her, let me hold this for you. I'll put it in my car. Let me hold this for you. I'll put it in my car. 
And as soon as I came up, he turned and walked away. And I walked her back to her hotel. And I was thinking about it later. And I'm pretty sure I stopped that gal from getting kidnapped. I think the goal was to grab that backpack, throw it in the car. And as she goes to try and get it, throw her in the car as well. It just, it just had that vibe. Yeah. And I remember telling my girlfriend, I was like, the coolest thing happened to me this morning. Because I was out bettering myself, I was in a position to help somebody. And had I not been out running, had I not been on this program, you talk about things in your life that just happened. Yeah. Um, there was a bigger reason that happened. I would, there was no one else around. It was this area of the strip. That's there amazing, was, dude. I was there and I would not have been there had I not been doing the program. And it happened to be again one time with a, an animal though. I was in Tallahassee and I was out doing my night walk with my dog wearing a 40 pound pack in the fucking rain. And I found a stranded kitten and I walked by it. My dog identified it and I looked at it and I was like, well, shit, I can't just let this be. So I took the kitten, me and my buddy, put it in a shoebox, drove like a 45 minutes to the only vet clinic that was open to drop the cat off. And then I went back and did my fucking walk. And if that had happened to me years ago, I would just kept walking. Yeah. Uh, shamefully, I would have been like, yeah. I would have been like, oh, it's a stray cat. Yeah. But because I was in this hyper mindset of trying to better the world around me, I just felt like I have to save this kitten. Yeah. And it probably would have died that night. It was, yeah. I mean, if you've, if you've seen a Florida yeah, downpour, yeah. Yeah. it's like flood it's streets kind yeah. of thing. And so, like, not only did 75 Heart allow me to motivate people around me, it actually put me in positions to help in ways that never would have happened. And I thought that was so cool. And just those weird little, you know, people call it like, uh, you know, fate kind of things. It was just, I feel it was just meant to happen. Dude, don't you feel though, like, like karmically, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. We have never talked religious beliefs or anything, but I, I do believe there is a karmic law to the universe. I believe in karma for sure. Yeah, for sure, dude. And like, I see it as a bank account. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't automatically, like you don't, like people think of it like as an instant thing. Like if I do something good today, I'm going to get something and back. And they think of it being like exactly the same. Yes. And like you're going to get the exact same thing. It's, you're not. It's about creating, it, it's, a, it's about a bank account. And the more good shit you do, you're making deposits into that bank account, mm. regardless if it's something as small as picking up somebody else's trash that you happen to mm. notice in your, wherever you are, or something huge like saving a woman from getting kidnapped. Those are deposits into that bank account. And, you know, the withdrawals we're not in control of when we mm -hmm. get them. Well, it's like the law of attraction. Yeah. You're not, that's why it's important to pay attention to those things. It's not going to come the exact way you want. Yeah. Karma or the law of attraction stuff. Yeah. But you need to pay attention to what does come your way because as soon as you have that gratitude, like life really does change. Like if everybody made their life decisions based upon a karmic bank account, <laughs> think about what the world would actually look like drastically different yeah like in a way it, it would be you know that you know atlantis kind of world where everyone's exceeding their capabilities and it's just a bunch of people that are operating at peak capacity for yeah. whatever they're meant to do bro i think that's i think it's real like i think that's i think that's real shit like i i've lived long enough and i'm old enough and i've had enough of experience living this way i yeah. think it's absolutely 100 real i agree in the energy output um yeah I know you said we haven't talked about religion, but real quickly, you know, I, I grew up very Christian. I grew up Mormon. Yeah. Um, I'm not anymore. I wouldn't yeah. even consider myself Christian now. But when I had a really bad bout of depression in 2019, and this is when I, I actually was suicidal for the first time in my life, like I really ruminated on it. And I was 
it was it was getting to the point that I was afraid I was going to do it one yeah. night. Um, coming out of that, I were you real- drinking a lot then. What's that? Were you drinking then? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was. It was. It was when I first moved to L.A. and I fucking hated living in L.A. and it was everything was everything was not good in my life and I wasn't allowing myself to get out of it. Um, but I. I sobered up for a long time actually it was the first time i ever tried to be sober i told myself i was going to be sober for 100 days just to see how my life would change and i was having a conversation with someone on a rooftop at a bar you know coincidentally after that and we were talking about religion and i said you know what i am not religious but what i just went through the past you know 100 days i realized we're all connected by energy mm-hmm. and whatever you want to call that energy or whatever you know you want to attribute that energy to we are connected and to me, it seems incredibly fucking sad and purposeless to not believe that. I, yeah. Like, so just, just me, you know, still not being religious, but accepting the fact that we're all connected by energy. That's what opened me up to like law of attraction, you know, karma, ghosts, yeah, all that kind of yeah. shit. Um, is when, real. Once I really yeah. believed it, because you hear people say all the time, like, oh, I don't like that person's energy. Or, you know, the energy you put out there comes back to you. Once I really believed it, well, my life changed. Yeah. My life absolutely changed. And I noticed things. I'm more creative. And everything feels so much more possible than before. Um, Dude, I get it, man. And yeah, 75 Hard really. It's not something that you can explain. uh -uh. Like you you guys listening, there's a lot of people right now who, who are like, yeah, I get it. And there's a lot of people like, what the well, fuck are these guys well, it's talking like, about? It's like I just said, we're sober talking to the drunks at the party. Yeah, yeah, man. It's one of those things that until it happens to you, it actually happens. Like there's, it's, it's. Uh, I don't know if you've read uh, anything by Stephen Pressfield. He has a book called Turning Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says you can divide your life into two parts, when you're an amateur, when you're a pro. Mm-hmm. And the moment you turn pro, you'll remember when that happens. And he talks about all these writers and musicians sharing their experience. And it's all something like that. It's something where people are really down or feel really just, you know, out of, out of their luck. And something happens to them that makes them actually deep, deeply believe they're meant for more. Yeah. And that's when you become a real artist. That's when you become a real writer, a real musician. Um, and it happens to some people at the beginning of their career. And it happens to some people 10 years into their career. When did it happen for you? Um, probably man like embarrassingly enough probably two months ago i think two months ago is when i really realized how much power i had i don't think that's embarrassing um i, I it's one of those I, things where I, I wish i would have known no, it sooner well <laughs> yeah but see i feel that i've just personally discovered that recently as well like recently like within the last 12 months or so um so I don't think that's embarrassing and at all. I, I, you know, I'd already, my son was probably, you know, he's probably eight months old at the time by then. And I'd had enough under my belt of fatherhood to realize how much of an impact I have on his life. And I can't remember exactly when it was, but I know the walk I was on when it happened. I was on a walk one morning. I wasn't on the program, but I'll still keep up with my morning walks because I find they help me, you know, write. I was on a walk. It was a hot, sweaty day. And I was listening to Bar Gnarl Beats which is something I've got on, gotten into recently too. Um, that whole like theta mm-hmm. brain process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why, you know, driving or showering, you have really good thoughts because mm-hmm. your brain's in a theta state and that unlocks your creativity. And so when I walk, I'll try and listen to binaural beats in the theta state. Um, real hippy dippy shit, but. No, it's real shit. I know it, it, yeah. it is real shit. Yeah. And I was doing that on one of my walks. I remember just thinking on this walk. I was like, man, 
I am meant for something and I don't know what it is yet. And I, I have no idea what it's going to be, but I truly feel like my mark on this world is going to be bigger than anything I ever thought it could be. And this was coming off, you know, when I first got my major publishing deal, I remember thinking, oh, fuck, yeah, this is like, this is it. All of that feels so minuscule to what I know is coming. Mm -hmm. I just don't know what it is yet. And it was on that walk. And I came back and I just remember like feeling just almost like high, like elated that I just had this awakening of what I can really do with my life. And it changed the way I wanted to approach my writing. It changed the, the way I wanted to live. Like I haven't been out to like a restaurant in Miami in a long time. Like I just, I used to always like going out. I like being very social. And now I'm just like, no, I just gotta stay home. And like when I'm home, when I'm not traveling for work, I need to be working on whatever this is. Mm -hmm. And I just, I'm hyper-focused. Um, and I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Cause I know that if I do that, I'll, I'll discover what that is. Yeah. That's amazing. And dude. it's going to be fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. No shit. I mean, the coolest thing is look at all the shit you've accomplished before you even figured it out. Like, that's what happened to me. Like I like, cause dude, you know, I have people tell me all the time. They're like, why do you continue to like work like you do or do what you do when you don't have to and all this shit. And it's like, bro, because my idea of what I'm here to do is not this. Like, mm -hmm. it's not just this. Like, I, I'm fucking 42, dude. I'm You're not young. I'm not 142. Yeah. Like, I have just started what the fuck I'm going to do. And, you know, when I think about the, the greatest people who have impacted the world, you know, these are people that didn't stop. They never stopped. You know, they, their story goes from when they were born to when they die. Mm -hmm. You get what I'm saying? And when you think, of, like, you don't ever hear of someone who changed the world or who was remembered or who, who mattered or who affected people with a half-life story. Like, you don't, you don't. Like, maybe, maybe they had a short life, mm -hmm. but during their time here, they were continuously progressing. And I think they were all people who believed in the connectedness of the universe, to 100%. be honest. Um, when you go back and read some of these greats, you know, everyone, everyone likes to look to the like Egyptians or the Romans as like these cultures that were so intelligent. All of them believed in some kind of weird connectedness to the world. Yeah. Whether it was through their multiple gods or through the way they, you know, revered plants and rock structures. You have to believe you're connected to something to really open yourself up to what you could be capable of doing. Yeah. And uh, that's one thing that 75 Hard really, really helped me. And that doesn't into. come from an arrogant place. It comes from a humble place. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Once you, once you realize that there's something bigger that you're meant for, you realize how minuscule you are. People hear it as arrogance. They're like, oh, you accomplished so much and you say you're just getting started. That's not, no, motherfucker. That's me knowing that I haven't really thing, done shit. The thing is, like, for, for all they know, the thing that you're going to do that's huge has nothing to do with finance. It, it, I know for sure it doesn't. It could be something yeah. that's just incredibly impactful. Like, yeah. you think of how many authors have written a book that 100 years later is still looked back on. Or like, you know, you look at all this, this, you know, new wave of stoicism, how people look to Marcus Aurelius. Mm -hmm. And that guy's thousands of years ago wrote stuff down mm -hmm. that has impacted the world and leaders and you know, countries for decades, centuries after mm -hmm. he lived. And when he wrote that down, he probably wasn't thinking that. A lot of the stuff was meditations to himself. Um, that kind of stuff motivates me to think you can create something that just lives on well beyond your years. I think too, I think, and this is just the writer, the, the, the amateur writer in me, um, I think when you have the realizations authentically, 
and express them authentically in your own voice, they have the best impact. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. People can't relate to things that are nothing fake. that you or I say is new. No, it's, it's it. But but I believe that you and I both develop our own thoughts through our experiences. And then they happen to align with other men's thoughts from hundreds of years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, it's because back then, I mean, people were deep thinkers. It was encouraged. Yeah. I don't think it's encouraged as no, much no, now. No, no, it's suppressed. Back then, You're I mean. crazy now. Back then, like the government would put you on a stipend and pay you to go live in some castle and just yeah. hang out and write books, you yeah. know? And you were like paid by the country to do that. And it was an honor for you to choose their country as your place to sit and work. Yeah. Um, but putting things in your own words and your own experience is that authenticity that a lot of people are missing these days, too. And I you think have to develop yourself to get to that point. Yeah. And I think people also feel, oh, but someone else has done this before. Why should I do it? Yeah. But that's exactly why you should do it. Yeah. Because the person that did it before said it before. Obviously, it made an impact enough for you to remember it. So why can't you take the same thing and try and convey it in your own life experience and have just as much of an impact? Yeah. And maybe, maybe, maybe teach it to others through your own example. You yeah. Know, like all of us are going to fucking die, bro. Like this money and shit and like all this shit that people think matters doesn't fucking matter. We're going to be fucking dead. Like I like it, like like it's it's bizarre to me that people don't understand that. Like you are going to cease to exist in this world. Okay? You're not there's no denying that. So like people make these decisions about they're like the, this is a little example, but it's funny to me. It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm a big car guy. Collect cars. You are. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> like the other guys who are car guys, they don't drive their shit. Mm -hmm. Like they just park it in the garage and like go look at it. I fucking rip the fuck out of I everything I drive. That. Yeah. And people are like, "Oh, aren't you worried?" I said, "Bro, I'm gonna be fucking dead." Yeah. I don't give a fuck what how many miles this car has on it or what. I, like. It's an experience that I'm experiencing. And, you know, it's interesting to me that people lack the awareness to understand that the impact that they have on the people around them um, is actually your legacy. You know what I mean? Like, that's going to be your legacy. Like, like it, you may not get a statue built to you. Uh, maybe you don't write a book. Maybe you should write a book. Mm. But the point of the matter is at the very base level, you know, especially for parents, you know, your, your legacy is your kids. So what are you teaching them with how you're behaving and what standards are you holding? And to me, that, that seems like something that would come naturally if I were a parent, like I would understand that, but it doesn't seem like society's seeing this as a whole anymore. They all feel irrelevant. They feel powerless. They feel hopeless and they feel like it doesn't fucking matter. I think social media has made us very short-sighted. I agree. Um, another quote, I can't remember who wrote this. I probably should have had this coming in. Um, the biggest mistake we make in life is thinking we have time. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who wrote that quote, but it's, it's very profound in the sense that you always feel like you can do it tomorrow or do it the next week. And, you know, like people that are debating whether or not to do something like 75 hard, or they say, oh, I'll start it, you know, when this happens, or that happens. You don't know if that's going to happen. You really don't know. Like your life could be over in two hours. It could be over in two years. It could be over in 20 years. And that's why realizing you don't have the time and you should just try and do everything you can with your life now will dramatically change the way you live. And when you talk about legacy, the coolest thing about legacy to me is there's no cap on it. No. You don't know how big your legacy can go and you don't know how many people that can affect. You know, going back to the ripple effect, 
just something you, t- some conversation you have with a random stranger one day can change the way they approach their next encounter and it can just keep going down the line and people don't acknowledge how much power they have and just small things like that, like acts of kindness and stuff like that. What about, you know, like something I observe too on legacy is that a lot of people try to intentionally create their legacy and design it. They want to be remembered a certain way. When in reality, the only way to have a legacy is to live an authentic life for who the fuck you really are because you require that much passion and that much energy to affect people in that way. So like, you know, I had a guy once tell me he wanted a statues of himself. I said, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish, bro? Then pay to get one made because yeah, yeah. you don't know if someone else is going to. Yeah, but like <laughs> he, he was like, I'm like, what are you trying to accomplish? And he's like, well, I want to have statues of myself and this and this and this. I said, that's not, that's, that's the result of accomplishing something what are you trying to accomplish and and he had a hard time grasping that mm-hmm. and i'm like look dude it's just like money money you you the mission isn't money the mission is solving a problem and the money comes as a byproduct and when you when you think about your legacy it's not you get to design your legacy for what the fuck it's going to be it's that you have to live to your maximum potential and to to create a positive impact on others in a way that they decide what your legacy is going to be. I think to put it simply, like what you're describing is the difference between a project and a purpose. Yeah. Like trying to create your own legacy is a project. Like you've, you've identified that goal. The project is to brand yourself a certain way. Whereas if you're just focused on a purpose, you can't help but live authentically. Right. When a purpose drives you, like you said, you have the energy to put into it that you wouldn't into something else. And right. so it all comes from just finding that purpose. And it sounds really cliche to say that because a lot of people always talk about finding your purpose, but you have to actually have a purpose in life and not a project goal. Um, that's how you'll have the most change and you'll be, the, you'll be the most happy too. Like you'll be so much more happier when you're not trying to hyper control the way you're viewed by the world or the way you, you're left behind. Like yeah. take it from a guy who works in advertising, creating a brand and a brand voice, maintaining a brand is very calculated and it fucking sucks. Yeah. Like a lot of the time it's really boring and it gets really fucking old and life shouldn't feel like that. If no. your life feels like a brand or you have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast, if you're trying to brand yourself as a person, you need to fucking stop. Not only that, you're going to lose. Yeah. You're going to lose to authenticity. People can poke holes in yes. brands very easy. They can't poke holes in a real purpose. Right. And that's, it, it's interesting because I tell people all the time, authenticity is the biggest fucking flex you could have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause what it says is I am who I am and you don't have to like that. That's okay. But I'm going to continue to be this. Um, you know, a lot of people take that to the point where it's, I am who I am and fuck you. That's not what I'm trying to say because sometimes who it's you being are, closed minded, sometimes who you are is pretty shitty yeah. until you create yourself to be someone of quality and value and certain standard. Right. Um, but yeah, dude, you know, I, my advice to you guys out there that are like, I, I, I want to be remembered like this. I want to be remembered like that. Or I want to be thought of like this. Leave that shit at the fucking door and start being who the fuck you are, man. You know, start standing for what you believe. Understand that we are here to serve. We are here to help others. And as a result of that, success will come to you. Um, Authentic success will yeah, come to sure. you. It'll, the success that can't be taken from you will come to That's you. That's right. Um, there's a lot of ways to make quick money or to become like a quick, you know, public figure, but that kind of shit can be gone so fast. Yeah. But if it takes time to build and it takes time to come from authentic action, that's the kind of shit that people can't, you know, you know, talking about current society, they can't cancel you. 
No. You can't be canceled when you've built a reputation of just being you. Yeah. Yeah. Because when they come to cancer, you say, yeah, that's who I've always been. Tough shit. And there's a body of work people can look yeah. back on and be like, I actually have known this person. This person's actually like this. You didn't suddenly crop up 15 minutes ago to where they can just derail you in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, dude, this has been an awesome conversation, like all our conversations. Um, but I do want to start wrapping it up. You know, can you speak a little bit to the people out there that, that think this is a fucking challenge and, <laughs> and, and not a program? Because I think and one of the things I've appreciated is that you always are intentional about calling it a program. Because it is. When people call it a challenge, dude, it infuriates the fuck out of me. But then I realize it's not a terrible thing because it kind of gets people in it. Yeah. So it's like, but like, I just want to choke people that say that because I'm like, bro, this is something that you can come back to and is intentionally designed to stay with you for life when you get off a track. So the difference between a challenge and a program is a challenge has a beginning and an end. Yeah. Um, like you said, a program, you know, say, for example, you're going to school and you take a course like the intention of that is to teach you for later in life. And that's why this is the Sunday Hard program is it really is something like you said, you can fall back on. And it's all about literally reprogramming the way you view the world and reprogramming the way you view monotonous tasks. Um, and that's what differentiates it from all those challenges out there. I mean, if it had just been a 75 hard challenge, I don't know that I ever would have even attempted to do it because mm -hmm. like I said, I'm not someone who like fitness wasn't the forefront of my life. Right. I didn't feel like, oh, I'm going to do this challenge. I'm going to lose 21 pounds. I'm going to win a fucking Lamborghini like some of that shit yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, like I really want to do this program because I want to reprogram whatever the fuck it is in my head that is causing me to feel this way. Um, and that is what encouraged me to try it. And that's what's encouraged me to do the Live Hard program. Like the full thing is because after I did 75 Hard, I realized, okay, I think I have more to learn. Yeah. Um, I, I feel good. I know I did this, but I know I can still do more. So I'm going to commit to this live hard program. And like, I mean, I failed on phase two on day 16 for not taking a fucking photo. Yeah. And the only reason I didn't do it is because I was traveling that day and I was like, oh, I'll take it when I get to the hotel. And I yeah. got to the hotel. I did my work and I went to fucking bed and I woke up the next day and oh, I looked fuck. at my phone and I was like, motherfucker. Yeah. And I easily could have skipped it and kept doing yeah. it. But I was like, all right, this is part of the program. What am I learning from this? And well, clearly you learned that integrity is essential for growth. There's, <laughs> we can have a whole conversation on that topic. We should. Um, yeah. It's the programming aspect of how I've learned to approach these small things in my life that help my writing. And I mean, I have three books in the process right now. Like I'm just cranking through shit in time periods that I never would have thought was previously possible to write that fast. I used to be someone who always waited for like the muse to appear to me and waited till I felt creative you inspiration. It was a special process. Yeah, I yeah. was like, oh, I need that creative inspiration. So I need to take three days. It's like, no, I just fucking put in the work. Mm -hmm. I'll just start writing. And I mean, Stephen Pressfield, that guy I talked about earlier, talks about this. You just start writing and it comes to you. Mm -hmm. And 75 Hard forced me to do that by making writing a part of my power list in phase one, completely changed the process in which I write books. Um, I didn't know what the question was. No, I'm just <laughs> listening to you talk about, you know, we were talking about challenge versus program, but I mean, the, the point is, um, you know, it's a, it's a lifestyle really. Like that's what it is. Uh, the live hard program is designed to be done every year. Yeah. You know, people are like, holy shit, that sounds crazy. 
No, it doesn't. It's less than 40% of your fucking year, bro. And if you don't fuck up and have to start 75 hard three times yeah. like I did or technically eight times because yeah. I'd fail a lot on day one or two because I'd realize I didn't want to do it yet. Yeah. Um, it doesn't take that long. <laughs> yeah. And, and dude, the quality of life that you gain from actually doing it is exponentially better than the effort that you put into doing it. And what's cool is if you use, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'll do the live hard program yearly. We'll kind of see what happens with that. But what's cool is if you use those times. Yeah. But if you get off track for, let's say you're fine for two years and then you find yourself in a place, you can always go back. Exactly. But I'm saying what's cool about it is if you do use it as a yearly thing, what you can accomplish in those 75 or 30 day increments can actually set up the rest of your year. A hundred percent. Like you could be putting off a bunch of bullshit that could advance your career and advance your life. And say, okay, I'm going to put my head down for 75 days and I'm going to focus on nothing but my my company and my personal growth. You could create something in 75 days that suddenly by the end of the year, you're financially way better off. You have all these opportunities pouring into you because you just dedicated a little bit of a period to really grind away. Um, and if you use it as even like to that extent, like maybe every year you take 30 days to just buckle down and see what you can do to advance your business you will always gain something from doing that. What, last thing I'm going to ask, bro. What, what are you most proud of um, through this journey that you've, you've built inside yourself? How I feel as a father. Um, I feel very capable of leading by example. And I feel that I'm someone that my son could be proud of. Whereas the individual I was three or four years ago, particularly when I was living in like New York City and I was traveling a lot and I was partying and everyone saw me out at clubs and bars all the time. I don't think that's someone that my son would look to and be like, man, my dad was cool. He might look and be like, oh, my dad had a fun time, but damn, he fucked up and that's why I'm the way I am. Mm -hmm. I feel like now my son, if I continue on this path, is going to be proud to be my son. And because of that, he's probably going to listen to me more. He's probably going to be a lot more um, connected to me in my later life because he's going to feel like his dad is someone that he can rely on to get shit done and to mm-hmm. do shit that's hard. And not just my son, but my girlfriend looks to me that way. I've noticed the way that she doesn't check in on me when I say I'm going to do something. Like she doesn't have like that, like, oh, let's make sure he gets it done. She just knows I'm going to fucking do it if I say I'm going to do it. My friends are the same way. Um, a lot of my, a lot of my friends confide in me in ways I never thought they would. Yeah. Um, and these are friends I've had since high school. Yeah. Some of my friends are really old homies of mine and they confide in me in new ways now because they look to me as like, all right, this guy just hammers shit out. I can go to Kyle with this and he's probably going to help me get through this shit or he's going to put me in the right direction to do it. And that's what I'm most proud of is really, you know, all comes down to, uh, being a leader. Yeah. It's really a leader for my son, a leader for my, my immediate friends and my community and those around me. And it's, I don't think you can put a price on what that's worth because so either. Whatever, whatever you choose to do with that career or personally, you can have so much fucking impact. Yeah. Well, bro, I've thoroughly enjoyed this show, man. We could go on and on and on and on and on. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely do another one at some point. But, Absolutely. Uh, Bro, thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for your work, your writing. If you guys haven't read Kyle's books, um, you should. Where's the best place for them to pick up the books? Um, actually, Amazon of all places. Um, a lot of people like to knock Amazon, but for authors, they pay. You they, write under the name The Captain. I write under the name The Captain, but if you search speech therapy or fucking history, and I have a series of quote books as well, um, they're all available on Amazon. Yeah. Well, bro, 
thank you for making the trip up. Thanks for blessing us with your knowledge and your experience, man. And uh, I'm super appreciative of the friendship and everything that we've got going on. And uh, um, yeah, man, it's just, this is a fucking awesome show. Absolutely. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. So it's episode 208, where it'll go through the entire program of 75 Hard and Live Hard. And uh, it's free there. It is not something that we charge for. Uh, so go listen to that episode. There is a book on my website that you can buy as well. It's not necessary. It goes into more detail than uh, what the show does, but you don't need it. Uh, but if you want to buy it, cool too. I think you'll enjoy it. So, so real, real quickly, though, I'm going to jump yeah. in here before you end. The yeah. fact that the program is free is how you know it has real value. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't want to get fucking attacked like for, oh, I'm just trying to make money. Motherfucker, no. Like, that's this how you is know how we fix people. That's how you know there's real value in yeah. it. You see a lot of life coaching programs and they're all like, where well, they price it all at $9.97. Yeah. It's like this price they all yeah. use. When you see that shit, yeah. I'd bet half the time it's absolute garbage well, and gonna, it's, it's a straight money Here's grab. what I challenge you to do. Go look at every single one of those motherfuckers and what they've actually accomplished and how they live their life, what they look like, what their discipline looks like, what their business looks like. Yeah. And compare them to me and you'll understand. That's the truth. So, and I know that's hard for some of you guys to hear, but it is the truth. Uh, it's free as fuck because I want to help people, dude. That's it. Um, I do appreciate people buying the book. It's cool because I think it's in depth, but it's definitely, I think a lot of people buy the book after they do the program. I bought it and I read it as yeah. part of the program yeah. just so I knew like what I was getting myself into. And then I've handed it off to a friend of mine. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, I got a new one coming out. Did you fix the typos in the last one? Yes. <laughs> yes. I actually marked them down as I was yeah. reading it. I was like, what Bro, is this? I read, I went, <laughs> I went back and reread it and I was like, holy fuck. I was like, I was like, do I be one of those guys that doesn't no, 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 be a no. solid and Listen, says, hey, I found I, these no, for no, you? No, no, no. I'm cool with that. Like, look, that's my first book, bro. Like, fuck, dude. We dude, all I, suck the first I, time. Okay, I put a book out. Yeah. Through, I put a book out through Penguin Random House, yeah. one of the biggest publishers in the world, yeah. with multiple editors, yeah. and there's fucking typos yeah. in it. Yeah, and bro, you, that's know what, what happens. you know what the worst part is? Is my pet peeve for people is fucking grammar people. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. dude, shut the fuck well, that's up. That's why I didn't say anything to you. Yeah, no, but it's, it's, it's just like, now I'm like, every day I'm bombarded by the grammar people, and like I just have to eat it because so like, this makes you feel better. Yeah. The first pressing of Harry Potter. But you know I, what, bro? I've gotten better. And you'll see in the new book. The new book is much better in that regard. So real quickly, the first yeah. pressing of Harry Potter has a typo in it. And it's like 75,000 copies or something. Yeah. If you have one of those copies, it's worth a lot of money. Yeah. Well, I think 75 hard will be that way, too, because on the first run of 75 hard books, they were all fucking uh, the pages. Remember how the pages are like not set on the page They're there. We got the same deal, bro. Yeah. Maybe one day. I love it. Yeah. All right, bro. I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, where can people find you? On Instagram? Uh, Instagram, on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I go under the handle of the captain or if you type S-G-R-S-D-K. Yeah. Um, pretty easy to find. Cool. All right, guys. That's the show. I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. I'll see you next time. Sleeping on the floor, now my jewelry box froze Fuck a bowl, fuck a stove, counted millions in the cold Bad bitch, booted swole, got her on bankroll Can't fold, that's a no, headshot, case closed, closed.